Bring out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. <clears throat> this morning, the sermon is entitled, Differences That Make a Difference. We're going to be reading uh, verses 19 through 25. It's the only part of chapter 19 that we haven't covered uh, yet. We covered the rest last week. And so we will finish and then I believe for a while we'll be going at a chapter a week. Although we will get a break next week as my brother Justin will be preaching for us next week. And so uh, reading Leviticus chapter 19 starting in verse 19 ending at verse 25. The precious and errant infallible word of God says you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed. Nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine, and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this shall be scourging, but they shall not be put to death, because she was not free. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, a ram as a trespass offering." The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed, and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you, it shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year you may eat its fruit that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures. Let's go to the Lord and thank Him for His word this morning. Gracious Father, Lord, we acknowledge that You are God. We are Your dependent creatures, created to glorify and enjoy You forever, recreated in Christ that we might honor you with our lives well lived. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that in it we are convicted of sin. We are compelled to love you more. We are encouraged as we continue our journey in this present evil age. Father, would you help us this morning to understand and apply your word. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So Leviticus 19, just a word before we jump in. The reason you are hearing this morning a sermon from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 19 through 25, is because at First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, we are committed to continuous expository preaching. Are you all right back there? (laughs) All right. We're committed to continuous expository preaching. I bring that up. Because this is not a passage, if you got this from reading, that probably a lot of pastors are going to preach a sermon on. This is a challenging text. And I'm going to be honest with you, if we were not committed to continuous expository preaching, I would have skipped right over this joker. But we want to proclaim the whole counsel of God this morning. And we find ourselves here. So we'll see what the Lord has for us. There are some differences in this world that just don't matter much. For example, vegetable oil and canola oil. They're different, so I'm told. 
But at the end of the day, when I eat something that has been cooked in vegetable oil, and I eat something that's been cooked in canola oil, I just don't see the difference. And maybe that's just me. It, it's, not, it's not a difference that really makes a difference. And I'm sure I'm going to be challenged uh, by that at the end of this sermon. Um, but there are some differences that do make a difference, a big difference even. I remember as a kid, um, I was grown up to be a cereal uh, expert, right? That is the uh, breakfast of choice, and it's the breakfast of champions, although as a 90s kid, which meant it was just chemically induced sugar grain. That was all that I ate on a continual basis. I'm talking corn pops and honeycombs, frosted flakes, nothing that resembles anything that should be a healthy breakfast, but it tasted good, and I would eat them every single day, except for when I went to my mama's house. Uh, because my mama kept with her the old bland Cheerios, right? Uh, you know what I'm talking about, the ones that just have no flavor whatsoever. I, I feel like it's even child cruelty that we feed them the children often uh, because I'm like, they, they're not, you're not developing their taste buds early when you do that. Um, and so I remember sitting at the table and looking um, at this shaker on the table that was filled with what I perceived to be sugar. And I said, oh, I know how I like my cereal. I'm going to put the sugar on that cereal. Um, and uh, to quote Jimmy Buffett, it was a shaker of salt. Uh, and so instead, it turned out to be very disgusting. Um, and that was a difference that made a difference, a big difference. There are also differences that make a huge difference. I'm not going to use an illustration here, but I think it's pretty important to know the difference between edible and poisonous mushrooms, for instance. Um, in our passage, listen, that, that's really the big idea of what we just read in those seven verses. The big idea of today's text is simply some differences make a really big difference. And in fact, the verses we just read, these seven verses, they form one passage here. And that may not be apparent at first glance, but if you've been with us for a while, particularly in chapters 18 through 20, you will recognize that this text begins with our first clue, which is, you shall keep these statutes, and it ends with, I am the Lord. Those are our clues to know that these seven verses are really to be taken together. Remember, we've already seen that what this is, is the holiness code, as we refer to the section. It's, it's really a command to, for Israel to follow the ways and statutes and rules of the Lord, and not follow the ways, rules, statutes, and regulations of the nations. In chapter 19, we saw that same principle expressed in slightly different terms. Israel was to be holy, for the Lord their God was holy. But, but said another way... There is to be a difference between Israel and the nations, and they are to live like there's a difference between Israel and the nations. And, and so what we have in this text, what we have is really just four related but different examples of keeping the Lord's statutes. Each one of them serves as a concrete object lesson in holiness. And so let's look at each one of these in turn. First, we are going to acknowledge and honor the differences affected by creation. That's the first difference that is laid out to us in the text in verse 19. To acknowledge and honor the differences affected by creation. We read in verse 19 at the beginning these words. It says, You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed 
seed. Israel was to acknowledge and honor the differences affected by creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God began separating. He began making differences, setting things apart. God separated the light from the darkness. He separated the waters above from the waters below. God made seed-bearing plants according to their separate kinds. God made the sun to give light during the day and the moon, which was to reflect that light at night. God made bird and sea animals according to their kind. God made land animals according to their kinds. And so out of the chaos and confusion, which was the initial creation, God made order and coherence. God made creation with diversity and said that it was very good. For this reason, Israel was to acknowledge and honor the differences established in creation. See, The reason why God made things according to their kind was for His glory. Bearing God's image was not to give Israel the prerogative to erase those differences wherever and however they desired. Israel was to foster and keep order and harmony, not play Dr. Frankenstein. Israel had no business attempting to breed cows with sheep, for instance, or goats and bulls. If God wanted a a ghoul, that's a goat bull, I just made that up. If he wanted that, he would have made one. Israel was to acknowledge and honor the differences affected in creation. In fact, we could state this principle another way. What God has separated, man shall not join together. Think about that. What God has separated, man shall not join together. And that has huge implications as a principle. Just think about it in terms of sexual ethics. We know that man shall not separate what God has joined together in the covenant of marriage. But nor should man join together what God has separated in the covenant of marriage and where it does not exist. Some models of egalitarianism do not respect this, nor does this extreme idea of equality that makes men and women interchangeable parts. Differences make a difference. We could include here, of course, some types of genetic modification that transgress this command to acknowledge and honor the differences affected by creation. And I'm sure there are other examples, but... But listen, this is not just a statute that needs to be kept. Remember, all of these serve as an object lesson in holiness. Why? Because holiness means to be set apart. That's what holiness is. It's to be distinct, different. By reminding Israel that God has separated various creatures and objects in creation, He was reminding them He had set them apart as part of His new creation project. Israel, remember, is a new Adam entering a new promised land, a new Eden. Israel had been separated from the nations. They had been separated from darkness. They were a city on a hill. They were light. Israel was of one kind and the nations were of another kind. And Israel was to acknowledge and honor this difference. And so these statutes create an analogy of their separation from the nations. The next difference that makes a difference is seen at the end of verse 19. This is a difference that we are to acknowledge and honor the difference affected by ordination. It's a difference of ordination. Acknowledge and honor the difference 
affected by ordination. We see that at the end of verse 19, that last little part that says this, Nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Very important that you notice what the prohibition says here. The the prohibition is against wearing a garment of two types of material, not making a garment of two types of material. This is very important. Once again, the Lord is emphasizing that there's a difference that makes a difference. But this time, it's not a difference established by creation. It's a difference that's been ordained by the Lord. Now, the difference might not be obvious here, but but it's there, right? The the prohibition was really meant to warn non-priestly Israelites from fulfilling the role of priest. The priestly garments were the ones that were made with two types of material. And, And so there's no general prohibition against every Israelite wearing a garment made of two types of material. In fact... That's what we know the priestly garments were made of. It's the non-priestly Israelites that were not to wear the garments made of two types of material. In fact, Exodus, we're not going to turn there, but Exodus 28, 4 and 5. If you don't believe me, write that down and go look it up. Bereaing me all day. I love it. Exodus 28, verses 4 through 5. It tells us that the priestly garments were made of yarn and linen. And they were used together to create these holy garments. Non-priestly Israelites were not allowed to perform those priestly responsibilities. We looked at that, right? Remember, the Lord had chosen Aaron and his sons to minister before him in the tent of meeting. The Lord had ordained Aaron and his sons for this special task. And their ordination was a difference that made a huge difference, even among the priesthood, right? We know that it was only the high priest who was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. He was set apart for that specific task. In fact, we have to bring up Nadab and Abihu here, don't we? You remember that story? If you recall, they perished in part not only because they brought a strange fire, but also because they attempted to take it into the Holy of Holies. They had not been set apart for that task. And so this prohibition right here is meant to safeguard against Israel donning holy garments and assuming the duties of the priesthood. The Israelites had no business impersonating a priest by wearing garments made of two different types of material. So acknowledge and honor the differences affected by creation. Acknowledge and honor the differences affected by ordination. In the next passage, and this is the one that kind of probably stood out to you when we were reading It's okay, it stood out to me too. Acknowledge and honor the differences affected by covenant. This is going to take some work. Are you ready? You still with me? It's Labor Day weekend and it's Leviticus 19. Isn't it wonderful? No other place I'd rather be right now than here with you guys. Acknowledge and honor the differences affected by covenant. Look at verse 20 of chapter 19 with me. We'll read this text. It says... Whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this shall be scourging, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. Obviously, there's a lot of debate surrounding verse 20. In fact, it uses, believe me, it uses rare and just odd Hebrew words here. And it just lacks detail that might be able to help us understand the exact context. But, but most likely, let me paint the scenario for you. This is most likely what this scenario is. A man with a female slave 
makes a verbal agreement with another man to give her as a wife. It's an arranged marriage. But before the betrothal gift is received on behalf of the female slave, she and her owner lay together. And the instruction given in regards to this sort of affair is that the man and woman should be punished, but they should not be put to death. There's a difference here. Hidden in this prohibition is an example and statute that differences make a huge difference. This is a difference affected by covenant. Now, before I explain how we see that here, it's important to understand, very important to understand this idea of betrothal. In fact, because of what we know contextually about the betrothal period in this time, I just am, could not reconcile the translation of this Hebrew word in verse 20 as betrothal. Uh, this word translated in our text as betrothal, it, it is a weird, it is a weird word, trust me. Uh, it could mean this, but really it, it could mean promise, even verbal agreement, or um, uh, something to that effect. And, and here's why I don't like the way this has been translated. By the way, this is a general rule of thumb in, in the Hebrew. Uh, th- this is the only place in the entire scriptures that this word is, in, is interpreted as betrothal, which gives us a little hint that there could be more here. I won't, if you want to talk about Hebrew later, I would love to do that. Um, but probably not the best point to do it here. Just uh, understanding Hebrew betrothal is why I don't like this translation. A Hebrew betrothal, it's much more than an engagement as, as our culture understands it. Really, it is to be married in every way except for physical intimacy. In fact, I took my daughter to see Fiddler on the Roof at the Alhambra a couple weeks ago, and this idea of betrothal, right, when uh, the, the main guy, what's his name again? Some, I, I'm going to mispronounce it, so don't even tell me. Uh, the, the, the father, the papa, he promises his oldest daughter to the butcher in town because he's an upstanding man, but she doesn't love the butcher. That was really fun to explain to my daughter because um, I was kind of on the dad's side a little bit. Um, but uh, he promised his daughter to the, the butcher, and then immediately the daughter comes and says that she's in love with the tailor, and they want to get married. And so he has to, he has to take back this verbal agreement that he makes with the butcher and instead uh, bends to the daughter's wishes and promises her uh, to the tailor instead. But here's why this is very important, is because, yes, the verbal agreement was made, but there was no betrothal gift given. This was important. Uh, This was uh, so culturally relevant. So that's one of the reasons, by the way, in the betrothal period where we read that Joseph was considered to be the husband of Mary before they were ever actually married. Why? Because they were betrothed. At that point, she was considered to be his wife and he was considered to be her husband. At the beginning of the betrothal period, there would first be a verbal agreement, but then a gift would be given. And this gift would initiate that betrothal covenant that would eventually be consummated in the covenant of marriage. In fact, another picture would be Christ and his church. Right? We, we actually see this as a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. He has paid that betrothal gift for us, and yet we are still like a bride awaiting her bridegroom for him to return. And, and yet we're married in every way except one, that he's not with us. That's the same picture. And so with that in mind, let's consider a difference here that makes a huge difference. And it's a difference affected by covenant. Stay with me now. The scenario in these verses is that 
a verbal agreement has been made. I think it's fair to interpret this word as simply a verbal agreement, but the official betrothal gift has not yet been given. The arrangement has been made, but the betrothal gift has not been received. And so the female slave had not yet entered into a covenant relationship with her proposed husband. She was not free, or more importantly, this meant she was not betrothed. Again, I think the term assigned, as the ESV has it, or the 95 New American Standard says acquired, uh, that those are better. It conveys the context a little bit better. And so, and this is important. Here's the difference that makes the difference. This is fornication, not adultery. And since this was fornication and not adultery, they were not to be put to death. There is a difference that makes a difference. But But don't miss this. The fact that the owner still has to offer a transgression offering makes it clear that this is still sin. He still had to offer a guilt offering. That proves that this is sin, but it's sin of a different variety. In fact, this is why we know this is the case. Look at what verse 22, our text explicitly says this about this particular sin in verse 22. It says, The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed. And the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. So they have still become guilty and defiled before the Lord for their sin. And as we saw in chapter 18, right? All sexual relations outside of marriage, they are sin. Outside of God's design, it is sinful. But the difference that makes a difference in our passage is that the woman was not betrothed and therefore she was not free. And this is about acknowledging and honoring the differences affected by covenant. Had the woman been betrothed, She would have been freed from slavery and bound in covenant to her husband. Then the sexual relationship with the master would have been adultery, punishable by death, because it would have involved covenant breaking. And so we see here a difference affected by covenant. Entering into a covenant affects major changes. I'm going to get so many questions about this afterwards, aren't I? That's okay. I love questions. Bring them on. But remember again, this this statute always and also serves as a reminder that that what we just said about covenant and and faithfulness was an exact picture of Israel, was it not? Israel was freed from slavery to Egypt, bound to the Lord, betrothed to the Lord in the Mosaic covenant. Israel's identity changed at Mount Sinai. They were no longer slaves, but they were the bride of God. And so Israel was to always acknowledge and honor the differences affected by covenant. Finally, the last one. Acknowledge and honor differences affected by gratitude. This is another really interesting one. Uh, Acknowledge and honor the differences affected by gratitude. The text tells us in verse 23, When you come into the land... And have planted all kinds of trees for food. Then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. Now, if you you just read straight through this, it's probably pretty straightforward, right? If, If an Israelite 
planted a fruit tree, after settling in the promised land, he was prohibited from harvesting or eating that fruit for the first three years. In the fourth year, he was to harvest all the fruit and then present it to the priest as an offering of praise to the Lord. Thereafter, he or she would harvest the fruit and enjoy it themselves. Now, it's worth noting that the word used to describe the fruit here is incredible, isn't it? It's it's uncircumcised. Verse 23 reads literally, this is where the New King James gets it absolutely right, you should regard its fruit as uncircumcised. It's a dynamic reading. There's There's a strong way of describing something that is to be rejected by God's people. The fruit was to be considered uncircumcised, but why? Well, some commentators actually speculate that because the trees would have required about four years to mature, in fact, there's an old Babylonian law that that reckons it takes four years for an orchard to reach its full potential, and since little fruit is born in the early years, it would have been inappropriate to, uh, to offer that harvest in the first few years to the Lord. It would not have been an acceptable sacrifice or offering of praise. And here is why we see Israel acknowledge and honor the changes and differences affected by gratitude. So for the first three years of this fruit tree, it was not a worthy gift. It was not a gift from a heart that was truly grateful for all the Lord had done in rescuing them out of Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. Then, when the good stuff came in, in the fourth year, after three years of tending and watching the trees, Israelites would have had a precious, appropriate offering of praise. There are differences that make a difference when it comes to demonstrating gratitude and praise. See, in this, Israel is being reminded that everything belonged to the Lord. All of it. The promised land certainly belonged to the Lord, didn't it? In fact, he was getting ready to remove the former tenants. Israel was simply the new tenant. Remember the text from chapter 18, verses 24 through 30, a picture is of the land vomiting out those who formerly dwell in the land because of their sin. He was going to visit their iniquity upon them. The current tenants were about to be evicted. And so Israel was going to receive this land. They were the new tenants, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land full of houses that they did not build, full of fields that they did not tend, full of animals that they did not raise. And because it all belonged to the Lord, he was free to give it to whomever they desired. He desired. So every new tree that they planted was to be a reminder of the source of every blessing Israel experienced from the Lord Himself. And so for three years, the fruit trees they planted were a reminder of the uncircumcised nations that the Lord had driven out before them. And in the fourth year, as they brought all the harvest to the Lord, they would be reminded that it all belongs to Him. All of it. And in the fifth year, Israel would remember That it is the Lord who increases the yield for them. As they finally were able to enjoy the fruit of the harvest, they would remember that it is God who provides. These are differences affected by gratitude. In fact, Gordon Wynnum, an Old Testament scholar, he writes this. He says, by dedicating the first of everything to God, the man of the Old Covenant publicly acknowledged that all he had was from God and he thanked him for his blessing." Listen, don't miss how difficult this must have been to watch the fruit fall to the ground and just leave it for three years. To to watch the fruit 
rot on the ground and know that it's not going to the Lord, nor could it be used for food for the Israelites. How tempting it must have been just to bring the fruit to the Lord in a third year. I mean, was there actually somebody who came out and kept the calendar of exactly when each and every tree was planted? How easy it would have been to bring it in the fourth year, but, but most of it to the Lord, not all of it. Listen, friends, there's a huge difference created in a heart that is full of gratitude. And that's what all of these passages are about. The differences that make a big difference. But, you see, we as New Covenant believers, we know the rest of the story. We know that in spite of all these differences that make a difference, there's a difference that makes an eternal difference. And that's what we want to spend our time doing now. Acknowledge and honor the difference that makes an eternal difference. Said another way, Jesus is our difference. We we see in our passage today that there are differences affected by creation. We still need to acknowledge and honor those differences, but they are secondary to the differences affected by the new creation. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. See, don't miss this. There are two creations. There is the old and there is the new. Everyone who belongs to the old creation is under the wrath and judgment of God. Everyone who belongs to the new creation is saved from the wrath and judgment of God. Now look, I'm not talking about two material universes here, two locations or places. I'm talking about the old creation as the current condition of this creation. Cursed, sin-stained, under the dominion of the evil one, as opposed to the new creation, which is free of the curse, of the power and guilt of sin, which is no longer under the dominion of the evil one, but has been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Jesus is the difference that makes an eternal difference. To not trust in Christ alone for your salvation is to belong to the old creation, to still be in its fear and its influence. To be in Christ is to trust in Christ alone for your salvation, to repent of your old creation way. It's blessing, righteousness, and life. Christ is the difference that makes a difference. We saw that there's a difference affected by creation, but there's also a difference affected by ordination. We still need to honor and acknowledge the differences affected by those differences. God still ordains offices in his church. Those offices need to be acknowledged and honored. But that's not the difference that makes an eternal difference. The difference that makes an eternal difference is Christ. The difference that matters is affected by his ordination, not mine. Jesus was ordained to give his life as a ransom for many. He was ordained to be the only high priest, as we read, who could and would offer the perfect atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people. No one else was ordained for that task. No one else could enter the heavenly sanctuary to offer once for all a sacrifice on behalf of God's people. No one else was ordained to do so. That's a difference affected by ordination that makes an eternal difference. This is, by the way, why Jesus told his disciples, where I'm going, you can't follow me now. Because he was going to the cross. He was going to stand before God, bearing the entire weight of sin for his people upon himself. It's the same reason why Jesus explained to the disciples, you cannot drink the cup that I'm going to drink. Why? Because it was a cup filled with God's wrath. It would have destroyed them and his people. But Christ, our high priest, was ordained to drink it for us. 
Jesus' priestly work has affected our justification, our adoption, our sanctification, and our glorification. That is a difference that makes an eternal difference. And so we also consider the differences affected by covenant. Do I, do I even need a comment on that one? <laughs> right? If the covenant of marriage affects important differences, how much more does the new covenant which united us with Christ? It affects important differences. Friends, we were formerly slaves to sin, to our flesh, slaves to the evil one. But Christ has paid the betrothal gift. He has ransomed us and we are now free. We are bound to Christ forever. Finally, we have that. But there are also differences affected by gratitude. In light of the differences affected by Christ, friends, we should be all the more eager to acknowledge and honor the differences that demonstrate our gratitude. We should always remember that we once belonged to that old creation. That we were once ordained for destruction without a high priest to intercede for us. That we were once slaves to sin and under the rule of a brutal master. But Christ is our difference that makes an eternal difference. So nothing short of us offering ourselves as living sacrifices is worthy of so great a salvation. Holiness is both our gift from God and our offering to God. We are the offering of praise, the first fruits of Christ's harvest. Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. For Christ is the difference that makes an eternal difference. Would you stand with me as we close this morning with a word of prayer? Gracious Father, we desire to acknowledge by your grace the differences affected by creation, affected by ordination, affected by covenant, and affected by gratitude. But more than that, Lord, make us a people who acknowledge and honor the differences affected by Christ, his person and his work has made an eternal difference in the life of your people. Lord, would you help us to trust in him, to acknowledge and honor the differences, and to live as though these differences are even now having their effects in our lives. Father, would you help us to be a church, to be a people who live in a manner worthy of that gospel. We thank you for the gift of Christ and the eternal worth he has and who he is and what he's done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated as we come to the closing of our service, which is the invitation. Um, hopefully the, uh, the charge is clear, both for Christian and for those who may not know the Lord. Um, if you are a Christian by faith this morning, you know that you've trusted in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't gotten from 18 through 20 yet of Leviticus that your life should look different than the world around you, um, then I, I don't know what else to say. I think it's very clear that we see this, that a, a follower of the Lord is to be holy. That is set apart. And, and those differences, they are important, right? They, they are because, why? They reflect the honor and glory of Christ. And we are to engage in those and seek in, in ways that 
um, that we can to be holy. And as we seek holiness, we will be different. That's the interesting thing about this. Listen, you, we've said it time and time before. You don't have to be purposely weird to be different from the world. In fact, that's probably pretty normal. But what I mean is you don't have to just shop at Hobby Lobby and eat Chick-fil-A all day and then say, that's my holiness. But here's the thing. As you pursue Jesus, the natural outcome of that is you are going to look different. And church family, for far too long, we in the evangelical church have simply believed the lie that to come to Christ comes with no life change whatsoever. And it is the exact opposite. He becomes your everything. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't struggle. There have been many times in my life where I've even struggled to really believe that I was his because of this grand sin I was committing or struggling with. But here's the beauty of the gospel is that he always brings ultimate repentance. My soul longs and waits for that. And many times I wondered if it was ever going to come. It does. And he's faithful. And that's the difference that makes an eternal difference. And so now, if you don't know Christ this morning, if, if, you, if your life has never been changed by an engagement and encounter with the true king of the universe, Jesus Christ, then make today the day that you give your life to him. Understanding what he's done on the cross to pay for your sins. Will you come to him and repent, declaring that you are no longer king of your own life, but Christ is your king, and that you trust in his finished work on the cross to truly, fully, and finally save you for your sins. If you've never done that, please... Let me encourage you. I'll be down front after the service. We'll have someone down front as well to minister to you. One of our deacons will come, and we would love the opportunity to talk more about what it looks like for you to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so I hope you've had a wonderful day here at First Baptist Church of Great Abel's. Thank you for bearing with me in the difficult text, as you always do. And I thank God for the ability we have to, to search and research and go to these things together and take them before the Lord. I'm going to ask my brother Bob if he would close us in a word of prayer. And then I'm going to have a stand for the benediction. I'll read the benediction, and you'll be dismissed. Bob, would you pray for us?